we're in the third week of our identity series. Uh, we're looking at uh, who we are, who we are in God. Week one, we were talking about you are loved by God and how that's, that's the core of who we are. We have to understand that before we can start talking about where we fit within the world. Uh, last week, uh, we addressed the question, yeah, I know I'm loved by God, but I Man, I don't feel it sometimes. In fact, I don't really even like myself. And then we talked about how in Christ we have an identity that's not content to just leave you there. God loves you exactly where you are, but he won't leave you there. He's committed to grow you, to develop you and make you something better. Not just something better, just something perfect. God, Jesus himself is the model of where he's taking us. It's such a beautiful thing that our identity has that no one else, no other identity can even offer you. Uh, Today, I'm just going to start off by asking uh, the key question we're going to build around. Who loves you? Now, here, thought experiment, like you don't have to say it, you know, but think in your head, specific people, who loves you, right? Like when I say that, names, what comes to mind, right? Um, You don't have to tell me who this is because I already know. Your spouse, your kids, your parents, other family members, And then you probably go to close friends, and now you're probably stuck because you're trying to draw the line of how close of a friend before I say that they love me, right? You know, it's like, you probably have some people, you definitely, 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 and and they probably qualify, you know, and and that's where we kind of trail off. The reason why you're so quick at this question, that you know who loves you, is because you are playing this game your whole life without actually playing it, right? Without actually writing it down or thinking about it. From the moment you come out of the womb, you have needs And you form a very strong bond with your primary need provider, right? With your mother. Becomes one one of your very first persons who loves you. And that that becomes very core to you. You know, as you get a little older, you realize there's multiple people that are taking care of you. Whether it's your both parents or grandparents or even siblings. Uh, As you get a little older and now you're a child, it it starts becoming important to find others who love you. Outside of your family and friends, you know, and, and belonging to groups. You get a little bit older and now you, you want exclusive relationships where you can uh, experience love, you know, as a boyfriend or as a girlfriend. You get a little older and now you're willing to make a commitment for life and hopefully someone else is committing to you that you will love them and they will be the person who loves you for the rest of your life. And your whole adult life is this kind of ebbs and flows both in, in, in your, your perhaps your, your marriage relationship, your family relationships, your friend relationships, where sometimes you're feeling really close and connected, sometimes you're feeling a little distant. But your body, yourself, your soul knows who loves me. Who loves me? Now, nothing, nothing, nothing of that is wrong. That's normal. That's natural. We were created at, to, to be together, to love one another, right? To, to, to need each other. We're social creatures. That's what humans are. Uh, not a problem unless uh, this is your identity, right? You, the answer to this question, who loves you? That's, well, that's who I am, right? And you've probably seen this in people, right? You know, it's, it's like the person that uh, has a brand new boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And they're head over heels and everything they are is just about this person and what they think about them. And, and when they're mad at them, then they're just crushed. And you're like, oh, that's unhealthy, you know? And maybe it's yourself, right? You know, but it's also people like within uh, marriage relationships too, right? Where it's like so much of who they are is pleasing the other person, you know? And you start feeling like, man, you're losing yourself, you know, it's like you're, you're, I mean, I get that you guys are in love and I'll let you guys be in love, but like, man, that's, that's a lot. Or like the friend, you know, that like keeps attaching themselves to different friend groups, like needing other people to love them. Like we can all identify like, yeah, that's probably too much, right? Like there's a wisdom that says 
you don't want the answer to this question or the pursuit of the answer of this question to be who you are, right? We all know that. And yet I think, I think when I look around at kind of the world and culture, there's a little bit of an encouragement to find your identity in this question. You know, I mean, the easy low-hanging fruit, you look at movies, right? You know, and uh, you know, you look at rom-coms or, you know, kind of those uh, touchy-feely movies, you know, it's like, well, everything is made better when the, the main character finds the love of their life, right? And happily ever after, you know, it's like, that's an ideal. That's absolutely an ideal. You know, it's easy to pick on movies, but, but it goes way beyond that. Like the day in your life that you spend the most money on like an event, like purposely spend the most money, like willingly spend the most money is, is your wedding day. It just feels like, yeah, what does that say about the expectations you have for a marriage, right? Like, like nothing else. Like, I, I don't know, at least it's difficult. You've got to try to keep costs down. You know what I'm saying? Like, people don't even have vacations that are as expensive as the one day that they celebrate true love, you know, being perfected in marriage. Um, or, or look at the cultural pieces. I'm talking from like an ethical standpoint where the world defers or has diverged from the church's ethics, you look at like leniency with things like homosexual relationships, divorce. You could probably even throw like abortion in there where the church says, no, there, there's some rules that we have to follow. And the world says, you know, I'd rather pursue and find love wherever I want without your rules dictating what that looks like. Our culture kind of nudges you, right? Dating culture, right? Uh, the apps have um, multiple opportunities for you to find your perfect match, right? You know, it's not trying to create healthy relationships. It's trying to find the one, you know, and not, not saying the ones, it's like, no, but culture is nudging you, like, find your fulfillment, find who you are, be fully satisfied, and the answer to this question, who loves you? Uh, it's unhealthy. The church needs to understand the arguments. It needs to have a rebuttal that says, no, actually, this is who I am, and, and here's how I operate. Here's how I fill the needs of love in my own life. That's what we're going to be looking at today. How, how would the Bible help us answer this question and help us know who we are in light of this question so we don't have to turn to the world? And here, here's something, as I've been preparing the sermon, and I try to look at culture, and I try to look at the Bible, and I start seeing the church, and the church sometimes drifts more toward culture than the Bible. And I think on this one, the church doesn't mind getting nudged a bit and saying, be fulfilled in your marriage, in your friendships, in your families. Whereas the Bible, oh, it doesn't have much of that. All right, let's, let's start. I read the whole Bible this week. No, I didn't. I didn't. I feel like I always have to, though. Um, I hope you guys understand the irony, right? I'm saying it's a bad thing that the world is nudging us toward answer this question and find out who you are. Because I've told you guys this sermon series, answer this question and find out who you are, right? Like, the answer to this question is God, right? Like, now, you've probably heard it preached by other pastors. Everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart, right? And so we try to fill it with every other thing, but really the only thing that fills us is God himself. Um, I'd, I'd probably phrase it like we have a love-shaped hole in our heart. Like we really do have a need for love, and God is love. So he's the only one that fully fills that, right? So we can have all these loving relationships. We can have all these people that love us, and it can feel good, and it can feel like we're getting full, but we're never filled. We're never fully satisfied unless we're satisfied in God. So the answer to this question is, God loves me, right? And, that, and that, that's it, right? That's all I need. Um, what do we do about these other relationships, in particular, other romantic relationships? So I went searching. What does the Bible say about romantic relationships? I said, all right, well, who are the couples in the Bible? Let's just see 
about like what, what does God kind of tell us about this love story? Is there anything that we can kind of like uh, tease out or see like, well, here's a theme, you know, so therefore this is what love looks like. Do, the, do this exercise. How, how many couples do you know in the Bible? Okay, there's not many. There's some, there, there's def, they're definitely there. They're definitely there. So, you know, like one, Isaac and Rebecca, it's one of the first kind of love stories that we have. And then you read it and you realize like, that's not, that's an arranged marriage, right? Like there's a, there's a servant who goes to try to find like the right wife for his master's son. And it's like the one that's coming to feed the camels. And he's like, this is it, you know? And it's kind of like, oh, okay. And then you're like, okay, well, what's that relationship look like between Isaac and Rebecca? And it just says, uh, Rebecca saw him from far off. I was like, who's that? You know, that's, that's your new husband, <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, that, okay, that wasn't very romantic, right? You know, and you look at, uh, well, maybe Jacob, and Rachel, that's Isaac's son. Uh, there's a little bit more. It said that he, uh, when Jacob saw Rachel, she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And we just see that Jacob's willing to work for 14 years in order to get permission from her father to, to marry him. And that's, that's about it. And you're like, okay, like, cool. So he, he really liked her, I guess. But you don't see this this love, this emotion, this blossoming, kind of the things that we celebrate, right, on TV. And then I thought, well, what about Ruth? What about Ruth? See, that's written from a woman's perspective, right? You know, like maybe it's the males, you know, that are thinking like, let me find a wife, you know? And then you read through the whole book of Ruth and she meets Boaz. But the whole time it's all kind of couched in uh, taking care of people's needs and being honorable. And, and the greatest love that you see in that whole four-chapter book is between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and you're like, ah, but I thought, I thought there'd be some more fireworks here. You know what I'm saying? And then keep going. Keep going. Mary and Joseph. I don't know. Whatever you want. David and any of his wives. Solomon and his wives. You know, Hosea and Gomer. I don't know. Take, take your pick. What you see is that there is no real ideal of a romantic love being fulfilled. You know, it's almost like it plays a secondary role, tertiary role, quaternary role. How do we keep going? It's, it's certainly not one of the top priorities in these stories. These stories are talking about other things of God's goodness, and then, yes, there's a relationship within it. Uh, the Bible does talk positively about romantic love. It's not, hey, we don't need, we don't need love. Um, there's Proverbs in the wisdom literature, not about specific people, but you find a verse and verses like this. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. This is Solomon writing to his son, so it's from a male perspective, but we can easily flip it and say, uh, she who finds a husband finds what is good. Um, it's mentioned as a blessing, not, not as a curse or something to be avoided, but it's something that is good. Um, as you're thinking through, you can say, well, what about the whole book of Song of Songs, right? Which is a celebration of love and, and closeness and intimacy between a man and a woman. Um, and that's absolutely present. Um, but, but it is never portrayed as fulfillment. Uh, what the Bible gives to us is that a spouse is a gift, right? So like romantic love, those relationships are a gift. They are good. God created us to connect, and that's good. But even in Song of Songs, at the very end, there's this warning. It says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, right? And, you know, we can you can debate what, whatever this means, but, but one thing is for certain that answering the question of who loves me should not be your pursuit of life. You know, because this is saying at, at that some point there, there is a time and some point there is not a time and place, right? You know, and so this romantic love and enjoying is meant to be enjoyed in a certain spot 
and not in other spots, meaning that it's not this universal drive or desire. This, this shouldn't be where you build your identity. You, you shouldn't try to gain a romantic relationship as who you are primarily. Um, that's, not, uh, that's not the important part. Some of you might say, okay, well, I mean, the Bible was written thousands of years ago, Brad. There are clearly different cultural kind of norms and values. We can't just say our relationship should be like theirs. Definitely, definitely not. But we also can't say that we are right or that there's a universal drive and desire for romantic love that God created in us, and that's what it's supposed to be. Right? Like, like God has a different design for relationships, maybe, than what we see or maybe what culture is kind of, yeah, find, find fulfillment in that. Uh, we are only going to be fulfilled for, from a love perspective by God. He, he fills up that hole, that need, that desire. If we place that burden on our spouses or on, on potential boyfriends or girlfriends, it'll crush them, right? Like, like that's not theirs to carry. They're a gift, and it, and it should be good. And, and, and there, all the things that we talk about, about having a better marriage, that's fantastic. But sometimes I think churches try to hold up you know, like uh, romantic relationships and say, well, here, come, we'll teach you how to use God's love to find a fulfilling relationship as if that is the end in of itself. You know, well, no, well, no. actually the end in of itself is to be filled with God's love. You know, I, I talked about David. He had numerous wives. Um, we know a lot about his life. Uh, he's kind of one of the superstars. Um, but his home life was a wreck. I mean, like probably the worst in the Bible uh, just because we have so many details <laughs> of his life, um, he, he did not do being a husband, being a father well. And yet he's called a man after God's own heart. And he writes, I think, some of the most strong and emotional love poetry <laughs> that we have available in the Bible. Like, th- these are his words. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then there's another psalm. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And there's more. You know, David is full of God's love. And that is the key. <laughs> that is where we're supposed to find fulfillment for these desires for love. Everything else is a gift. Our friendship, our family, ro- romantic partnerships. But we're filled with this love of God. That's what we're meant to have. So here, here's, here's the main message there. Well, both of them. A spouse is a gift and God's love is all you need. A spouse is a gift and God's love is all you need. That's, that's what we have to hear. That's what the Bible says about romantic relationships. Now, here's, here's the issue. Here's the issue. I'll, you know, you'll go to a church. They'll, they'll say something like this, and then they'll say, okay, for everyone who's married, the first one's yours. A spouse is a gift. Don't place too much on them, but enjoy it. Be grateful. Let this be something that can be beautiful that God has given you, right? And they say, all right, for all you single people out there, God's love is all you need. You guys just need to get that all the way down deep inside you. Don't go searching for your meaning in someone else. But if we do that, or if you, if you do that and say, this one applies to me, this one doesn't, what you're essentially saying is that your identity is based on the answer of who loves me, right? 
We're like, oh, yeah, oh, what, what category? You're married? Okay, come, come to this side. This is your section, right? We're going to read the Bible in this way. The, here's the application points for you. Oh, you. oh, you don't have someone? Okay, come over here. Here's what I want you to understand. No, no, no. This is for all of us. See, our identity is not based on whether we're married, whether we're single, right? Whether we have multiple wives and we're living in Africa in a different culture. No, the Bible is for us, our identity as a beloved one of God. And, and therefore, a spouse is a gift. Whether you have one or whether you don't, it is a gift. It is a good thing that God gives us. It is something that is to be desired and prayed for. But it's also not everything, right? Like, like if someone says, like, oh, my, my wife, my husband, they're my everything. It's like, yeah, I mean, they could be a lot. <laughs> but, but I don't think, I, don't, I just feel uncomfortable saying they're your everything. You know, God, God is your everything. He's the one that you build a foundation, your identity on. If you build it on your spouse, again, we, we covered this already in the series, you're going to be disappointed, right? If, if your feeling of being loved is dependent on another human loving you, you're putting tremendous pressure on them, and you're also setting yourself up to be disappointed. You will be fulfilled in God. The only way you're going to have a fulfilled relationship here on earth amongst each other is if you're both filled up by God. Now, we'll get to the application point, though. This is, this is um, one big uh, kind of chapter argument that the Bible says. If we, if we approach the Bible and we say, who loves me, God, right? The big message is, hey, don't look, don't look for other people. I love you, and that's enough, right? That's one of, the, one of the messages that we find in the Bible. There's another really strong message. If we come to the Bible and we say, who loves me, God? You know, Jesus answers questions with questions. He flips it back around. He says, well, who do you love? right? Like here's, here's Jesus's words to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Nothing new. You guys have been in church before. <laughs> You've heard me preach this before, right? But the Bible is very clear that God understands. When we say, when we say who loves me, he says, oh, you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it wrong. Don't look from, from receiving love. You're actually commanded to give love. Like, I love you. I feel right. Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Who is, who is Jesus commanding the disciples to love? Go back home that night and love their wives and kids and families? Because, man, that feels like what church says, right? We say, go home and practice love with the people you're closest to. But Jesus said, love one another, you guys friends, right? The only thing they had in common was that they were followers of Jesus. That was it. They, I'm telling you, this is a greater love. They hadn't made a lifelong commitment, a covenant before God to love each other. It wasn't like family where you're born into it, right? And so this is your mom, therefore you'll respect them. You know, it's, it's like you, they don't even like each other, right? Like they didn't choose to be, be with each other. It's not like there's, oh, I really like this guy. We've got, we've got common interests. It's like, nope, you, they're just running the same lane. They're following God together. Therefore, love one another. The best parallel that we have is us. We didn't choose each other, right? I didn't pick who was going to attend my church. I said, no, let's, let's worship God together. Let's follow him together. And you guys said, yes, I'm coming too. Therefore, God says, love one another. Uh, you might have been at weddings, and they read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known as the love chapter, right? Love is patient, love is kind, keeps going on and on and on. Just a question. Who was Paul writing that for? To love. Quick hint, it wasn't for a wedding ceremony, <laughs> you know? You know, he, he didn't have in mind, right? Like, here's how spouses should love one another. 
you know? And he's not, I don't know, he's not talking about with your kids. He's talking about the church. Read, read chapter 12, read chapter 14. He's talking about the worship service, Sunday mornings, when they're gathering. And he's concerned that they don't actually love each other. So he says, wait, 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 you can have prophecy, you can have, you know, all the, all the greatest things, but if you, if you don't have love, it's all worthless. It's all noise. You, you know, showing up on Sunday and worshiping God, if you don't love one another, forget it. It's trash. You guys need to love each other across the aisle. Yeah, the people you don't know, the people you didn't come here with, the people that you have nothing in common with other than the fact that they are loved by God and they choose to identify as that. I want to read this chapter, ah, just three verses, four verses, four, five, six, and seven. And I want us to go slowly, and I just want you to think, when have I demonstrated that to someone else? Here, in the church, in the church. Not outside the church, just here, Sunday morning, in the, in the context that Paul had in mind. When have I done this? And just think of examples. I'm going to read it super slow, so that each phrase you can think, okay, when have I done this, right? You guys ready? In your heart, in your heart. Don't, you don't have to shout it out. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. always perseveres. See, when I read this chapter like that, I realize, oh, this was probably when there was a lot of interpersonal problems. <laughs> you know, like a lot of these things, I struggled to do with others. And then I feel, uh, I don't have that many examples. You know, like, I mean, I know in general what it means to be kind and patient, not boastful, but if I were to think of examples where I've been this way with you guys, that means I have to have opportunities where I could have been angered, could have been prideful, right? Could have been impatient and the rest, could have kept records of wrongs, which means I've got to be close with you guys, <laughs> you know, like I've got to be showing up. We've got to get to know each other more. Part of why we want to be sharing prayer requests up front is that we can be known, so there can be opportunities to love, right? And opportunities to handle what people share with grace and with love and to not dishonor other people, right? Or to not be impatient or be angry or some of these other things. 
But this is what we're commanded to do by Jesus. This is what we've been instructed to do by Paul. And therefore, it's before us. And I want us to recognize, more so even than relationships with friends or family or even our spouses, we're commanded to love one another here, this. And we can't apply it and just say, okay, well, that means with my spouse. I'll practice all these things. No, 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 no. Practice it here. This is, this is where we're commanded, with each other, which means we're going to have to know each other more. We're going to have to be more active and involved. You know, and so then, then I feel like, God, I can't. You know, like, sorry, sorry. You know, and you get that feeling where it's like, I'll do better. Let me, let me dig in. Give me another chance. I'll, I'll, I'll be more aware. I'll talk with more people. I'll follow up. I'll text. I'll call. That's, that's the wrong way. We talk about this all the time. God is not wanting us to be better. This love, I don't have it. I can't make this. If I tried, I fail, right? Like, this is God's love. The only way that we can love like this is if we're not the ones loving, but it's God in us, right? Like, if we have that, that gap, that love-shaped hole in our heart, if it's not full, we can't love like this. If it's full, now it overflows, right? If, if you feel like, ah, I'm not doing this enough, or definitely not here, don't say, I need to do better, that's not the right response. The right response is like, let me be filled by God's love even more, right? Let me bathe in his love so that I can be full. Then we can start talking about that overflow. Here are Psalms, including two of the ones that we quoted from David. Read these Psalms and just meditate on them. If you need to just feel God's love more and fill up that hole in your heart and make sure that you are fully satisfied in God, Read these, Psalm 36, 63, 84, 117, 119. And these are just a handful. There's nothing magical about this. These are just the ones that I read and liked. Um, keep reading. But, but the, the right proper response for us feeling like, ah, I'm not loving well enough, isn't to work harder, isn't to do more. Just make sure that you are full of God's love. Because here's the cool part. Then it overflows, right? Then, then your spouse and your families get some of that love. You know, Paul does talk in his other letters about the people that you're closest with, right? Your spouses, your kids, household servants back in the day. Yeah, love them. It's, it, it boils over and it, and, and it hits them as well, even if they're not believers, right? So we practice loving people that are in line with us, pursuing God together. But then because you are full, now it spills over. And now your families get the benefit. Now you get to experience fulfilling marriages. Why? Because you're not looking to them to fill you. You're already full. This is key to who we are in our mission, right? We're to live God's love beyond ourselves. I'm talking about this process. The only way that we live beyond ourselves is if we're overflowing and full. If we don't understand who we are, that we are loved by God, if we haven't been filled in that, if we're still looking for other people to fill us up and our needs other than God, we will not be able to love others. We will not be able to do our mission. We will not be able to help these kids that are coming to the warehouse that God is bringing to us. The only way, the only way we're actually able to love is if we know and are filled with God's love as who we are, foundational, no one else. And the fun thing, if we're all doing this, if we're doing this here every Sunday, you are surrounded by family, by friends, by people that know you and love you. You get what the world is searching for. You know, all these different relationships of people that love you. The only way you find it, though, is because you're filled with God. And that's the beauty of how God has designed us to operate and designed the church to operate. May we excel 
and knowing our love from God and sharing the overflow with each other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you know what we need and that you choose to fill us up with it. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that we would allow you to fill us up. I pray that we wouldn't skip to step two because we don't want to do step one or it feels uncomfortable. But may we just sit before you, Lord. May you shower us with your love. May you help us understand and know what your love is. We trust that our other relationships will be more fulfilling if you are at the core of who we are and your love is the thing that's filling us up. May we not try to fill up those gaps of love within our own souls with other human relationships, Lord. May we see them as a true good gift, but may they be complementary and, and on the side and, and extra bonuses from the love that we can have before you. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for how much you love us. We thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, we've got some good discussion questions where uh, my goal is to help you guys apply this further. Uh, the seating arrangement, again, if you weren't here last week, uh, we've got it in kind of already or easily, easily semicircleable rolls. No, no, that doesn't make sense. Uh, curl in the sides. If, you, if you're kind of, there's too few people, go jump in with someone else and then uh, connect together. Uh, the goal here is to practice loving each other as we listen and hear them and encourage them as we process uh, what this could mean for us. All right, one, what does an identity formed in a human relationship look like? The, uh, what I mean with this is when you're answering that question, who loves me, if you're trying to answer it with a person, whether it's your spouse or significant other, family, friends, whatever that is, what does that look like? So the unhealthy way. Uh, number two, what are healthy expectations for love from a spouse, right? So I kind of said, uh, let's not uh, expect everything to come from our spouse and feeling love. Well, what, what are healthy expect, expectations then? I didn't say what it should look like. Uh, third, how can we demonstrate love to each other more? Very practically, uh, us here on Sunday mornings, what does that look like? All right, take seven minutes, and then I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us all. Feel free to continue as long as you guys would like. But if you guys have somewhere to go or would like to leave, you guys are free to do so. Just choose to go rooted in that identity that you are loved by God, full of Him, so you might overflow to others. Go this week in the Lord's peace.